Want convenient banking features like mobile check deposit? Whitney Bank's mobile app has you covered. Start by opening your checking account online at HancockWhitney.com. Then download the app to bank anytime, anywhere. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The discussion of the place of women in business has gone through a number of stages. Initially, there was no discussion because there were very few, if any, women in powerful positions in American business. Then, when women started having a bigger presence in boardrooms and executive suites, the prevailing attitude was to treat them equally to men and not acknowledge any differences. Now we're at a third stage. Women are a significant part of the workforce at every level in business and with greater numbers are unafraid to point out our important and unique challenges. Lelia Gowland is a woman for whom pointing out these challenges and methods for overcoming them is a business in itself. Lelia is a writer, speaker, consultant, and acknowledged thought leader on the subject of women in business. Lelia is a writer for Forbes magazine, a consultant for companies like GE, and for national associations like the American Association for Justice. Lelia Gowland is also a New Orleanian. Lelia, welcome down to lunch. Thanks so much for having me. Navigating the world of what is politically correct can be difficult. For example, if I have a guest on the show like Lelia, a national figure in the arena of women in business, would it be super cool or horrendously non-PC to have Lelia's husband as my other guest? Remember that question. I'm coming back to it in a moment. T. Cole Newton is the owner of one of New Orleans' hippest bar rooms, 12 Mile Limit. Cole opened the bar in 2010, and it's been on the Times-Picayune list of the city's top 10 bars every year since. That's no small feat given the number of bars in New Orleans and the growing list of hipster joints that continue to open. Cole also co-hosts a popular bar-related podcast called Around with Stephen Cole. And in 2014, he represented the United States at the International Bar Summit Competition in Bordeaux, France. Cole, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. Oh, and I should also mention that Cole Newton is Leela Gowland's husband. So, all right. <laughs> you got to put all the cards on the table here. So, first things first, uh, how long have you guys been married? About two and a half years. Uh, we got married in October of 2014. Did you so meet in a bar? Well, bar and restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I was bartending when we met. Now, Lily, you didn't set out to be an expert on women in the workplace. You became one because women kept coming to you for career advice. Uh, then companies and publications started turning to you for your take on where things stand with women. So now you have a woman-owned business whose income is derived from women in business. Presumably, your ultimate goal would be to put yourself out of business, <laughs> which would be the result of absolute parity between men and women in the workplace. Is parity, in fact, the desired or even possible endpoint, or are there always inevitably going to be goals specifically unique to women in work in business? 
Peter, I love that question. I was recently asked to present a retreat or lead a retreat for female attorneys. And when I was on the phone scoping what kind of session they wanted, they said, our goal is not to be as miserable as the men. Oh, that is. <laughs> and and for, for attorneys who were, and, and some of them are getting 2,000 emails a day, working constantly with such intensity, finding a path that represents what they actually want versus what they are told they should want, uh, particularly in an industry that's so male-dominated. So a lot of my work is in is with women uh, who are operating within male-dominated industries where there aren't a lot of women and they're figuring out what it looks like to be successful on their own terms. And what about difficult issues like trying to keep your career going while you take time to you know, have a baby and raise a family and coming back. Do you advise on that kind of thing? Absolutely. Part of the goal for me is meeting women where they're at. So initially this work started, as you mentioned, because women were coming to me for support with specific negotiations. So coming back into the labor market or looking at compensation more broadly and figuring out where their priorities were. So. Some of the time, it's absolutely saying, where does it? Where do you want to go from here? And it may not be what you think you wanted when you called me initially. You've been a facilitator. I've been at so many meetings where after the meeting, everybody hated each other. So I, I, what, what does a good facilitator do? I think being a good facilitator, for me at least, stems in part from being a sex educator. So a lot of my training in facilitation came from being able to reply really quickly on demand to whatever a middle schooler might say about whatever we're talking about, or a person coming out of prison with a felony who I'm having a really candid conversation about consent with. And being able to bounce back based on what whomever I'm in front of is, is putting out there is really what I think is most valuable in a facilitator. One of the best uh, compliments that I've gotten about my work is the approach that I take is kind of grotesque, but she says, your ears are bigger than your mouth. And so I tease that my approach is not sit and get, where I'm going to be up on the stage and I'm just going to be talking at an audience full of people listening to me. It's instead really interactive and designed to lift up the wisdom in the room, bounce ideas off of one another. I always say, I'm leaving. I'm not going to stay and be part of your uh, engineer professional association. But if I can help you all talk amongst one another about the experiences you're facing as women in this industry, then I've done my job well. Now, Cole, the bartender plays an interesting role in the mythology of America. In the Wild West, he was depicted as a tough guy who would smack heads together uh, like a kind of off-the-record sheriff. In the 1950s, he became a psychologist who would pour drinks for men who would pour out their troubles to him. In the 1990s, he became a suave, debonair party host. In the 2000s, he was an alchemist, a mixologist who made signature cocktails. Where are we today? What do you see your role as, as a bartender in current New Orleans? I think bartenders for a long time were really socially part of the fabric of a community in a way that we've kind of lost a little bit. That bars were very much meeting spaces for neighborhoods or for small towns. It was where legislation would get passed if any event spilled over from, from the church or from the city hall, it would spill over into the bar. And we very much had cultural conversations in a way, and they were very much hubs of a community. And I think what part of what I want to do, especially being a neighborhood bar, which is our primary identity, is that we're a neighborhood bar, is to be a hub for the community that, that we anchor. And I think the bartender has a very big role in, in facilitating that because they 
tend to the bar in a much grander sense. It's not, it's not just about pouring drinks. And you do have to, you have to know all the recipes, you have, to, you have to be an alchemist still, but ultimately the drinks are secondary to creating a space where people feel comfortable, that people feel is an extension of their homes. And a lot of that is, is doing all of those things. You have to be able to, you have to, be, able to be the sheriff. If, if a dispute comes up, you have to be able to moderate that dispute in a way that is amicable but fair. If somebody wants to unburden themselves, social, the, the social lubricating aspects of alcohol lend themselves, and the fact that you're, you're both friendly but an anonymous stranger. You know what people got me will always though, I heard this from your podcast, is you <laughs> used a great line, when bartending restores your faith in humanity. Ah. There's a, that was a, <laughs> I've never seen a sentence like that. What did you mean? Well, that was about, um, we hear a lot of stories about things that happen in bars that make us feel worse about the institution. And a lot of the times that's true that bars can be run, run very irresponsibly. Alcohol is an addictive substance. People can ruin their lives because of the things that they do when they're drunk or by just spending all of their money and time in bars. And if we don't actively work to mitigate the role, the negative elements of selling alcohol, that we're basically the only legally sanctioned drug dealers in the country. Um, if you don't actively work to mitigate the harm that alcohol can cause, then you're, then you're part of that problem. And you do things that nobody else does. On Monday, you give away free food. It was something that our chef, our original chef, Chris Shortall, who was the sous chef at Co Coquette when I was there running the bar, he came over and helped me open the kitchen at 12 Mile. He wanted to do free food on Mondays because we were open six nights a week and he wanted a night off. But it oh. became the opposite of that because he, t he, he couldn't cook anything <laughs> casually. So it be instead became this sort of proving ground where he would test large format recipes. He would do elaborate curries and things like that. Um, and our new chef, and we've gone through a couple of, of different uh, a, a kitchen managers since then, but our new chef, her name's Brandy, she's doing the same thing. She's using it as a way to sort of test recipes. We're gonna, we haven't done a lot of it yet, but we're gonna start doing a lot more catering. And so testing these large scale recipes in a, in a sort of a live setting, but also it's a way to bring people together in the community. It brings people in. It was a, one of the slowest nights that we had in the bar before. And now it's one of consistently one of our busiest weeknights, and it's because we have this thing that draws people in, and, and it I've brings got a people business together. question. Food, for food does that for people, especially in New Orleans. I've got to ask you this business question though: Is initially bars can get a great buzz, and there's a lot of ways to do it, but you've kept it up. Uh, how is it? Are you doing something special marketing-wise, or no? Our marketing has been virtually non-existent, <laughs> uh, to be perfectly honest. He doesn't even have a website. We don't have a website. Wow. All, of our all, our right. all of our marketing, all, all of our web presence is via social media. <laughs> Uh, as of now, we're actually building a website as we speak. Now, Leela, I gotta gotta ask you. You you do a lot of speaking and things like that, and you've got the uh, the writing. How did you get those gigs? Yeah. How do you keep getting them? When women were initially coming to me, I thought I'm gonna support women one on one. I had so I had a full time consulting practice working. I teased that I was a Jacqueline of all trades. I worked with a national education nonprofit on engaging teachers and principals in education policy and. As I mentioned, taught sex ed to middle schoolers. I mean, it really ran the gamut. And as women were coming to me individually, I realized this is a real need. And I was working with women across the country. People, total word of mouth, heard heard that I was doing this. And suddenly, uh, the demand was so high that I actually stopped providing one-on-one -on -one support. And I was hosting these workshops at Treo upstairs in their art gallery space. They're delightful to work with. And, and I was able to host these small, intimate workshops where I was having these deep conversations with women about negotiations and career decision making. And someone who went through that workshop said, I know who you need to talk to. Uh, Jenny Green, who's this phenomenal local attorney, uh, said, you've got to talk to trial lawyers. This is your audience. And 
flew me to Boca Raton, gave the talk at um, the American Association for Justice, and it snowballed from there. It was a 300-person event for their Women's Caucus, and my PowerPoints didn't work. So I, oh, I got on stage, uh, and it was my first talk of that size, for when sure. When that happens, it always comes up to, like, a rabbi, a priest. Well, it was funny, because they were so concerned, and I said, if you could just get off the stage, I'm going to be fine. I'm just worried about running out of my time. I'll be fine. I'll oh, say, wow. imagine what's on the PowerPoint here. So from there, I got a ton well, of requests. That's a sign that you're born to be a speaker. I you can hang in through that. love it so much. Do you, do you work with a speaker's bureau? I don't. I don't. I do everything independently. I just launched my, uh, I don't know if you know the term, but it's called a sizzle reel. I was delighted by that expression. I uh, want to use that three times. What does it mean? Tara Latorte. Uh, the CVB told me that's what I should call what I was what I was describing as my clips reel as a speaker. So I've got my, my little three minutes of, of me speaking in a variety of settings. And she said, you should call it a sizzle reel. That's what it is in the industry. Wow. Now you've to, I mean, you've got very successful engagements in business, but neither are you following the traditional track. You don't go through a speaker's bureau, for instance. You don't, uh, you're, you're about to get a website, I guess. <laughs> the, uh, Seven uh, years in, <laughs> feels like the thing to do. <laughs> you're, you're going down a different path. Is that a conscious effort? I ran a political campaign in 2012, and after working about 16 hours a day for eight <laughs> months and cracking free teeth from daytime teeth clenching, oh, I wow. realized that that probably was not what I wanted to do with my life and did an evaluation of all the things that I liked most about the work and the things that I found most challenging. And having agency over my time was one of the most important things. So whenever someone looks at my business card and says, oh, that's so cool, I say, thanks, I made it up. <laughs> and have really built the business from um, following the advice that I give women, which is about figuring out what our priorities are. What's it like, what is it, what is it like when uh, you're doing this out of a city like New Orleans? Mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be people doing it out of Boston or New York. Uh, make you more unique or is it any kind of difficulty? Or? You know, I, you're asking me at a funny time. I was booked on 16 flights in one week trying to get to two client events just through a train. Oh, you should no longer speak in Siberia. <laughs> it was St. <laughs> Petersburg, Florida, and Louisville. So um, one of them I could have for sure driven faster than the I ended up getting there. But the, so the, the logistics of getting to my locations aside, I absolutely think it's an advantage. On my bio, I say I'm a New Orleans native and enthusiast. And that, that levity that I bring to issues that are really difficult or uncomfortable to talk about is very characteristic of the city and my disposition. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Lelia Gowland, New Orleanian and nationwide expert on women in the workplace, and her husband, T. Cole Newton, owner of the bar 12 Mile Limit. Sizzle reel. Sizzle reel. Yeah, I just want to keep saying it. They, uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll have one more chance, then you'll have your three in. Uh, Lelia Cole. This is the part of the show we call another great idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. You can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great, or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice, and how did it turn out? Well, before I was a bar owner, I was debating I had some money left over in my college fund, and that's what I used to start 12 Mile Limit. And I was debating, I was going back and forth, 
because I had only been bartending for full time for about four years at this point, even though I've been running the bar at Coquette for about two years. And one of the other bartenders there, her name's Allie Mills. She is actually managing the Saint Bar now, I think. Um, and she's a good friend of mine. And we were, we were out having drinks one night after work, and she said something along the lines, and I, I still was like, do I, do I take this money and go to business school, or do I take this money and buy a business? And that was, that was the debate that I kept having with myself. And she said at some point, just very casually, like, she just said, you know, if I had the money, I'd just open a bar. And it, that's, I think that was the tipping point for me where I started looking, where I started just keeping my eyes open for that opportunity. Where I and I eventually found 12 Mile Limit. It was called Marvin's at the time. I found it on Google. I just did a Google search for bars for sale in New Orleans. And page two, there you go. It's, it's, that's my bar now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think I would have actually started looking like that if it hadn't been for that conversation with Allie. In hindsight, I wouldn't recommend, hey, I'll give it a shot as a business model to follow. You talk about doing things in a non-conventional <laughs> way. It's like, I would probably have brought in a business partner. I, would, I, d I was doing everything. Well, I was, did you think, a, uh, Cole, did you think about like, what's needed in the barroom uh, community here? I did feel that there was an unfilled niche. And sort of 12 Mile Limit being, we're a neighborhood bar, but we have a sophisticated cocktail program. And I didn't really think that that was a, a hook. It was just sort of, I was known for fancy cocktails. I'd been here at Commanders. We have a very sophisticated cocktail program. I worked at Loa for a little while and then running the bar at Coquette. To the extent that I had a reputation in the community, it was for being a cocktail bartender. So it didn't make any sense not to do that. But I wanted to fundamentally be a neighborhood bar. The location didn't lend itself to a genuinely upscale model. So that, that concept just sort of happened organically. But in hindsight, it was really filling an, a niche that is still, I think, underserved, which is that you can get well-considered, well-crafted cocktails in an environment that isn't pretentious stuffy, and off-putting, yeah. that isn't stuffy. And I, I mean, certainly there's, people want that upscale experience. There definitely needs to be upscale bars for that niche, but there's no reason that you need to be paying $15 for a cocktail when you're using basically the same ingredients the dive bars charge $3 for. Don't give away those secrets. That's one of the things I, I, I mean, I think there should be more bars like mine. I'm surprised our model hasn't been replicated a little bit more, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And 12 honest. mile limit means you can't come to the bar if you live further away than Medigree? Or <laughs> 12 mile limit is a, is a there's, well there's a prohibition era cocktail. We, we accept oh. Metairie people at the okay. bar. I should be very specific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, My they parents are, are still welcome. They That's are. Right. They're, that and they're regulars at the bar. No, what about yourself? Lily, did, did you ever have that conversation? Somebody had a suggestion? About th maybe three or four years ago, I called my cousin and was having conversations with some of my closest family members about where I should take the business. And my cousin, who's been at Cartoon Network for 25 years. Oh, I love this. Um, does a lot of work on Adult Swim and, and all of these things. He's really, really creative and smart and knows technology. And he said, as I was thinking about writing more, he said, you know what you should do is, is uh, podcasting. Podcasting is really where um, information is going to be more widely shared and you're going to be able to build an audience more readily. The internet's full of people writing blog posts, but really where you could set yourself apart is podcasting. And I thought, that seems like a good idea. Nah. <laughs> and, um, you know, a few years later, my husband has a podcast. I'm getting asked, you know, why don't you have a podcast? I'm like, because I was an idiot three years ago. Uh, but, but perhaps in the future, it, it may be on the agenda. I'm working on a book right now. So we're starting with the book proposal, and then maybe we'll switch gears to oh, the podcast. All right. And your cousin was like 
inside baseball. He he would he, know. It, it was for sure inside baseball, <laughs> and I missed opportunity. I could have I could have done well. And you know, Lily, I got to admit, you're the only person I know who is published in Forbes and Cosmo. <laughs> I don't. That is a company you could do Forbes and Barons, but <laughs> Forbes and Cosmo. Go ahead. How did those gigs get get found? You know, uh, Jude Boudreaux is an amazing financial planner who's right up the street. And when I saw him uh, featured in Forbes, I reached out and I said, you know, I'd love to be a source to them. Do you mind introducing me to, their, to your uh, contact there? And it was a very strange series of probably four different people over three or four months and a lot of persistence. But I ended up meeting my editor who, who covers women at Forbes and she said, you're asking to be a source, but we, we see you're writing. Would you like to be a contributor? So I write for Forbes five times a month. Um, and interestingly, Jude actually made the connection for Cosmo as well. So I actually didn't write that piece. Marie Elizabeth Oliver, who's a wonderful writer here in New Orleans, was writing a piece for me you're or about me. You're not doing the sex quiz. It was not the sex no, quiz. So I'm totally capable out, right? of writing that's a great sex quiz. <laughs> she, she wrote the piece, and it was in Marie Claire and Cosmo and a couple other outlets. Now, Lily and Cole, You've been our first ever married couple on Out to Lunch. I wasn't sure if this was going to be a PC faux pas or a smashing success, but I think we pulled it off just fine. It's been a fun, fascinating, and informative lunch. Uh, thank you for getting married uh, so that we could do this. And We did it for you. I appreciate that, and uh, especially thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks for, for having, having us. us yeah. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Lelia Gowland, the writer, speaker, consultant, and principal of Gowland LLC, and T. Cole Newton, owner of 12 Mile Limit. You can find out more about Lelia's business and Cole's Bar by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Mr. Matthew Ellison. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen. And at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and this is our first married couple, do, do check this out. You can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. Want convenient banking features like mobile check deposit? Whitney Bank's mobile app has you covered. Start by opening your checking account online at HancockWhitney.com. Then download the app to bank anytime, anywhere. Member FDIC.